Gyrish Nation, welcome back to the final show of the second season here of Gyrish Talk. Mike and I are going to close out this season with a look back, grading out the Notre Dame roster, offense, defense, and overall, and give a way too early look to the 2023 season. Mike, we're officially into the doldrums of the offseason. A lot of news on declarations to the draft and players coming back and, and transfers. How's, how's your offseason kicked off here in, in the new year? Well, I had a pretty busy season just in terms of – it's a good busy. So I, I love football season, but I do feel like my, my weekends are dominated just by watching football. And then on top of it, as we've – has been well documented throughout this podcast, I had, I had a wedding, I had a honeymoon, I moved into a house. So I, I feel like the amount of free time, so to speak, has dramatically opened up and it will continue to open up in the next couple weeks. That being said, with – there's some news we're going to talk about that Brett alluded to that's happened with Notre Dame in the offseason. I'm already – we're not that far removed from the end of the season. I'm already getting pretty excited about next season. As I said, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. It's funny how, again, how much time some of this stuff takes up. And I, there are moments where I'm like, you, you know, hey, it would be great to get a breather. But then as soon as it goes away, I'm, I'm clamoring for, for more football. We still have NFL though. So, so at least we have that. But yeah, so I guess, yeah, just to summarize, uh, looking forward to the free time, but also at the same time, ready, ready for football. There's a lot of interesting developments with Notre Dame. That have happened and uh, excited to cover that. Quick shout out to our friends Alex and Sydney. They're actually staying with me right now. They're, they're right outside the, the recording studio here in Atlanta. We're flying down to Guatemala next weekend for a wedding for, for another Notre Dame buddy. Um, so excited to have longtime listeners here, here in the house getting a live preview of, of this show. And a big day here as a Packers fan for me as well. We're, we're recording on Sunday. Winning, you're in for Green Bay tonight. So, so the football season's still alive and well. Although Mike's Cleveland Browns, I think, are officially out of contention. Uh, yeah. so I, I suppose we'll, we'll try to be Browns fans next year, but right, right now we're all in on the Packers. With that, let's dive into the season grades. Let's do it. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on football this holiday season. Same game parlays, easy and fast payouts, player prop options, and much more. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and much more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the DraftKings Sports app now. Use code TPPN. That's T-P-P-N. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get a $150 bonus in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Minimum age of 21 and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. You know, I feel like we we learned a lot of different lessons about um, ourselves as individuals, um, ourselves as a team, um, and, and as I tell the guys all the time, it had to be this way. And um, we had to learn this way and we had to improve this way. All right. Grading out the 2023 season, Notre Dame fin- finishes nine and four, just one game shy of a sixth consecutive 10 win season. So that streak, unfortunately, snapped. We're going to switch off going by position group. Michael cover quarterbacks. I'll go to running backs, et cetera. But we'll go through the, the offense and defense. And our general grading curve is to be an A plus, you need to be top five in your position group across the country, across the key stats we look at. To be a top 25, you need to be A, A minus. 
B range is sort of 26 to 50, so above average across college football, but maybe not elite top 25. C range is outside the top 50, and D range is at the top 100. And this was really hard grading. We, we've talked about how inconsistent this team is. You've got losses to Marshall and Stanford. You arguably played Ohio State as tough as anyone in the country outside of, you know, Georgia and Michigan, right? So outside of two other top five teams, gave them their biggest shot. Obviously the huge win against the top five Clemson team at home. So some highs and lows to this season, some evolution with a first year coach, obviously starting quarterback goes down in Tyler Buckner to start the year. So a lot of nuances to this. We're going to try to stick to that grading curve. We'll touch on some things where we've maybe adjusted the grades we hand out. Uh, but generally, top five is an A+, plus, top 25 is an A-, minus, B range in the top 50, C range in the top 100, D range if, if you're outside the top 100. We'll try to stick to that as a grading curve. Mike, you want to kick us off at the quarterback position? Definitely, yeah. And Brett, you, you hit on it. This was a pretty chaotic season. So in addition to just focusing on certain stats and grades, there is context that needs to be mentioned with all these positions, which we're going to do. And so moving that to the headline position, the position that gets talked about the most, quarterback. Uh, I think I'm going to just start out by mentioning the pro football focus grade just to just kind of set a goalpost of where where that where he, where Drew or where Drew Pine graded out uh, within there. So so at the quarterback position, we graded out at 67th. Now it's we have to call out that pro football focus the grades we use them. We we tried to move away from them a little bit just because there are some flaws to them. One in particular is that they don't adjust for competition. So if you're playing all top 12 defenses throughout the season and then you grade out, say, 30th, you may actually be much better than that. It's just you happen to be playing the best defenses in the country. So it doesn't it doesn't take into context that. And then also there's some other issues like the season grades. The year-end season grade doesn't always match up with the with the regular season grade or with the uh, the individual uh, regular season grade. So uh, we we graded out 67th. So that's pretty average. Now it is worth calling out that when you factor in our competition level, we we do look a little bit better there. Now Drew Pine. Here's some other metrics for how we grade it out in terms of the rest of the country. So out of 144, an adjusted completion percentage is a pretty important metric for for quarterbacks who's 51st. So I would say in terms of P5, not great, pretty middling. In terms of sacks per pressure, he was 66th. In terms of yards per attempt, 44th. And then 34th in touchdown to interception ratio. So in some areas, he did a little bit better. Some areas, he did a little bit worse. Again, you have to take into account the competition level they were playing at. Drew Pine, he was thrown into action unexpectedly. Some other context we got to give is we didn't necessarily have the best weapons. Wide receiver was a total mess that was well documented throughout the throughout the year. We did have Michael Mayer, one of the best tight ends to play in call, all of college football in, in years. So he, he locked in on him a lot, as you would expect. But aside from that, we, we didn't have a ton of weapons. We had a, a more effective run game as the season went on, so that that helped, and the offensive line played a bit better. But Drew Pine himself was was not a threat in the run game. So I think when you take all of this into account, limited receiver production, Drew Pine's not a threat in the run game. He was thrust into action. It was kind of more kind of more expected to just kind of keep things from imploding. I, I would give him a grade of around a, a C plus or B minus. To me. I think around that implies around a top 50 level, roughly. And that sounds about right to me. So he's the backup who came in. 
he we had some shaky moments, but overall he did a solid job of making sure that the season didn't just completely run off the rails, basically. And I think if you had told me that we had some injuries at the beginning of the season and we got a top 50 performance from the backup, I think I would be okay with that. That sounds pr- pretty reasonable. I, of course, you'd like to have the backup come in and just light everyone up, but that doesn't happen very often. So I think to me, top 50 sounds about right when I'm taking scope of everything at the quarterback position. Obviously, that's an area that we need to improve on going forward if we want to take a big jump in terms of the performance of our program. Yeah, if, if you said C-plus translates to average, Drew Pine felt like a very average college quarterback this year. Um, his service is now obviously going to Arizona State. Wish him all the best, but but think C-plus, B-minus, kind of average game manager type quarterback certainly feels right. At running back... This one was one of the trickier ones to grade. You've obviously got the the room is comprised of Audric Estime, Logan Diggs, and, and Chris Tyree, and was the centerpiece of our offense. And so before I get into some stats, this is one where we really have got to make some caveats and, and maybe adjust some of the stats as we hand out the grade. Because the passing game was so limited, for a substantial portion of this season, we were consistently going up against eight men in the box, teams selling all out to stop us in the run game and we still had to slog it out right against Syracuse against Clemson we'd go rush for 250 yards and it might only be four or five yards of carry so it wasn't the most efficient running ever but that was what was most effective for Notre Dame's offense despite the other team knowing exactly what we were going to do pro football focus grades take it for what it's worth 76th and then some of the other metrics frankly back it up so yards per attempt was 5.6. That was 61st in the country. Interestingly, yards after contact, so kind of how much can you attribute to the running back, was 3.2 yards after contact per attempt. That was 80th in the country. Another really big stat we like talking about is broken tackles. So looking at broken tackles per attempt, this is someone somewhere where we were special the last few years with Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams was number one in the country in broken tackles in the second half of last season, a very elusive running back. Our broken tackles per attempt was 108th. Um, so just not something that Logan Diggs, Audrick Estime, very powerful backs and a lot of speed and that they consistently fall forward, but that elusiveness to break a big one, a lot of times was more driven by the offensive line than, than it was our running backs. Um, but overall, the, the headline stats are pretty gaudy. Estime ran for 900 yards and 11 touchdowns. Logan Diggs ran for 820 yards and four touchdowns. It is important to call out, Estime had the fumbles, case of the fumbles in October, three really critical lost fumbles this year, really dealt a big blow in the Stanford game, um, and also the Marshall game, don't don't quote me on that for sure, but but some, some critical fumble issues there too that kind of knocked the grade. So look, the, the overall metrics say this group should be a C. Um, they're kind of in that top 50 to 100 range. They're, they're not in the top 50, which we're saying is is a B for us. But caveating how stout other defenses were at selling out on stopping our run game and the fact that we were still able to churn out a pretty productive offense, 1,700 yards from our top two running backs. I adjusted this one from a CC plus up to a B. I thought it was one of our stronger areas in a skill position group. And I think if you saw more balance from the passing game and the running game, the running backs would have been a big beneficiary. So maybe a lot of their struggles was less on them, it was more, at times when they did struggle, maybe weren't more efficient, was less on the running game, it was more on the lack of a passing game and the QB and wide receiver position that that put the running backs in in a tough spot. 
Yeah, and I think this is a position group where we we got better at running the ball as the season went on. I remember early on it was it was a struggle. And a lot of this is intertwined with the performance of the offensive line. And we'll talk about that more too because the offensive line certainly improved as the year went on. But overall, we were more effective as the year went on at just just running on teams. Uh, we didn't do it in every game, but I can I, I would say the peaks of this position group at, at times were were stunning. I, I can th- I think of the Clemson game. They they sold out against the run, and we were able to just run on them at will, basically. Even even at moments in, in the Gator Bowl against against uh, against South Carolina, we were able to do the same. So this is a position group where the stats say closer to top fifty, perhaps. But I, I would say my sense from watching how effective they were at times and how we closed out the year. To me, they feel more like a top a top thirty group, which aligns closer with it with a B grade. And I, I will say, moving forward, we'll, we'll talk about next year a little bit more. But this is a position group that I just based on the trajectory of the season that I feel pretty good about. Now, moving on to the next position, I guess next two positions we're going to group them together here, uh, and that's wide receiver and tight end. So we kind of have a, a tale of two cities with these with these two different position groups. So I'll just I'll just get tight end out of the way here. So Mike Mayer. I don't think we need to talk about him too much because he was just phenomenal this year. Perhaps the best tight end Notre Dame has, has has had. One of the best tight ends ever in college football. Extremely effective. He gets an A plus 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 whatever whatever the max is in terms of pluses. That's what Mike Mayer what, what Mike Mayer gets. Drew Pine, of course, because of that, because he was so effective, locked in on him at times. But he still put up some really good stats. Teams knew we were going to go to Mike Mayer quite a bit. They keyed in on him, and he was still able to generate quite a bit of production. So if not for Mike Mayer, the passing game, which was not particularly great this year, would have been a total night. I mean, it kind of was a nightmare at times, too, but it would have been uh, that times 10 if we didn't have Mike Mayer. So Mike Mayer, A++++, whatever whatever the highest grade you can get. Now I'm going to contrast that with the wide receiver group. And we talked about that. We've talked about that quite a bit throughout the season. This is a group where we... Had had quite a have had quite a bit of departures over the years. A lot of transfers. We haven't had we didn't have much depth this year. Not really much experience going into the season. We also had some injuries on top of it to boot. So some some uh, some headline stats here. Pro Football Focus grade, as Brett said, you got to take it with a grain of salt. It actually has us at at 39th. It, our passing our passing grade is 39th at least. So that kind of combines everything. So not as bad. Again, a lot of that is Mike Mayer, but focusing more on the wide receivers here. No single wide receiver had a grade over 73. Colsey had 73. No wide receiver had more than 360 receiving yards. Jaden Thomas was right around there. And no wide receiver had more than three touchdowns. Thomas and Lindsey. So as you can see here, there was no wide receiver that was particularly impactful. And then even just from a steady production standpoint with the receptions, no one had more than 30 receptions. Styles was pretty close to there. So there wasn't really any go-to player that we could we could rely on. Now, I will say as the season went on, we did actually see some improvement from these receivers, which is a little bit more promising for next year. So Thomas, he started surging as the year went on. Colsey, a player who started out a little bit slow earlier in his career, it seemed like he was starting to surge. Styles, unfortunately, didn't make the jump that we were making this year, but he has flashed even at moments last year that he has a lot of potential. So hopefully we can get him back on track. But if you're focusing just on this year, this is a position group that we didn't get a whole lot of production out of. Some other context that we got to mention is they were working with Drew Pine, who we already graded out. He was a pretty average quarterback, someone who's not going to elevate the play of a young group of receivers who might need a little more help from a player at the quarterback position. So I think I think you have to flag that as well. But overall, this was a position group that held us back, probably our weakest position group. 
And I would say, taking into account all that, to me, that feels like a D grade. And is the talent at the position outside the top 100? A D grade, according to our metrics, would imply that we're outside the top 100. I think the production this year would kind of fall in line with that. Now, moving forward, as I said, I feel better about this group. So our talent is certainly better than that. But just taking stock of this year, I don't think you can, I don't think you can be, you can give this group anything better than a, than a D grade. Yeah, certainly the weakest position group on the roster, whether it was more on Pine, more on the receivers, don't know. Another just important thing on the wide receivers, Avery Davis was supposed to be a starting wide receiver at the start of the year. Joe Wilkins was, if not a starter, for sure going to be in the rotation. So the two seniors that were supposed to take a lot of snaps for this wide receiver group both had season-ending injuries in summer camp in, in August and pretty late in the game where guys like Jaden Thomas and Lorenzo Styles and Dion Colsey and Tobias Merriweather were probably not getting as many reps as they would have if you'd have known Davis and Wilkins weren't, weren't going to be in the room. So a tough spot just from a depth perspective of young guys having to step up. There's a lot of reason to believe this group is now going to be littered with top 200 recruits, especially with the incoming class. It should get much, much better next year and, and beyond. But I think the Davis and Wilkins injury to start the year put this group in a bad spot. Lindsey didn't step up. Styles didn't step up. Jaden Thomas did. He he definitely emerged, but um, overall a, a disappointment at at wide receiver. And then the last unit on offense, the offensive line. Um, pro Football Focus pass block grades were twenty second. Pro Football Focus run blocking grades was fifth. Take those grades for what you will. Um, pro Football Focus player grades. Joe Alt had a grade of ninety one. That was second only to Mike Mayer on the team. Fisher, Lug, and Patterson all in the 70s, so the grades stack up. Line yard, something we talk about that tries to measure how much push is the is the offensive line generating in the run game. That was 34th yards before contact, so basically yards per attempt before the running back was contacted. That was 50th in the country, um, so kind of middle of the uh, middle of the pack. Sacks allowed was 40th. Um, but we mentioned Drew Pine was lower half of quarterbacks in terms of pressures turning into sacks. So the offensive line was actually about top 30 in pressures allowed. But Drew Pine, maybe not as bad as Jack Cohn in terms of immobility in the pocket, but he would definitely take a lot of sacks when he was under pressure. Um, and Havoc allowed was 17th. So that's oftentimes driven by the offensive line. Can they avoid tackles for loss? Can they avoid sacks? Um, so overall... In most of those metrics, Havoc, the pro football focus grades were all top 25. Line yards, yards before contact were, you know, top 50. And the same caveat we had to make in the running game, it's really hard for an offensive line to go and blow people off the ball on yards before contact if the opposing defense is putting eight people in the box over and over and over again just because we were so one-dimensional uh, with our run game and, and a limited passing attack. So all of that said, Bit of a mixed bag. Most of the stats triangulate kind of around a twenty top 25 offensive line. I debated going B-plus here, but I think overall this group did better than what the stats suggest because of how one-dimensional the offense became. And that's where you see their grades were, were really good by pro football focus um, and, and some of the advanced metrics like Havoc allowed back it up. So we bumped this one up to an A-minus. We, we were more positive 
Um, you're slightly more positive in adjusting it upwards, particularly Mike, as, as you alluded to with other position groups in the offense, a big improvement from where they were beginning of the year. It felt like in September, in, in those first two losses, they just weren't really blowing guys off the ball, but throughout the course of the year got stronger and stronger, led by Joe Walt and Blake Fisher and, and Jared Patterson. So we've got the offensive line at an A minus. Uh, Mike, you, you want to kick us off on the offensive grades overall, taking all those units together and, and how we're thinking about it? Yeah, so when you conv- combine the performance of all these units, essentially it shakes out to an SP plus grade of 56 for the offense. So for Notre Dame standards, not not good. That's well outside any sort of elite level or, or even good level. I would say if you're within the top 30, that's a pretty good offense. 56 is certainly on the lower end for, for from a P5 standpoint. Now, breaking down... What advanced metrics are driving that? We were actually pretty good at success rate. So we were 18th. So top a top 20 unit in terms of just staying on target, uh, staying on schedule, moving the ball downfield regularly. We were, we were very good in that area. And we were also very good in how much havoc we allowed. So we only allowed, in, in terms of stacking up against the, the whole country, we ranked 17th in terms of havoc allowed. So in terms of success rate, havoc allowed, these are two metrics that really drive the offense's ability to, to stay on schedule. And we were really good in this area. However, the area that we were really poor in was with chunk plays. We were just not an explosive team. We didn't generate a whole lot of big chunky plays. And if you want to generate a lot of points, you do need a degree of this. Because otherwise, even if you're really good at regularly moving the ball downfield, you have a great success rate, teams aren't disrupting you, you just have to string together too many of those successful plays in a row to score. Whereas if you get one big chunk play, 60 yards, boom, it's, you just scored right there, essentially. You're just, you're putting too much pressure on your offense to be able to score, uh, to be able to move the ball regularly if you don't have any explosiveness. And since we ranked a hundredth, very poor, again, not surprising, just based on who, who, who our team was this year, we just didn't have an effective passing game. If you don't have an effective passing game, particularly downfield, you're not going to have a whole lot of chunk plays. But that's, that's really what, what lowers us here. And, Again, I think there's certain certain context that you have to mention. Brett, you already flagged a lot of it. I flagged some of it too. We we certainly improved a lot as the season went on. We were dealing with a lot of injuries. Drew Pine had to step in as a backup. I think Buckner, we saw even in the Gator Bowl, he was someone who certainly flashed a lot of potential. And in the Gator Bowl, he actually showed a lot of explosiveness. He, he turned the ball over a couple times. But to me, it was interesting just in that one game, you, you flip quarterbacks and all of a sudden, our offense looks completely different. We have a ton of explosiveness. So to me, that shows that our offense certainly had a lot of upside that we missed out on. Again, maybe we don't know exactly how Buckner would have performed, but Drew Pine certainly lowered the ceiling for this year. And then at the receiver position, Avery Davis, Joe Wilkins, those are two players that were would have been very reliable wide receiver options in a room that had a lot of inexperienced depth. So I think when you take stock of that, I think you have to you have to adjust your grade accordingly. Ultimately, we did lose to Marshall and Stanford. That's unacceptable. A team with the talent that Notre Dame has on the offensive side, that should should never happen. Um, and a lot of that was driven by offensive failure. So I think when I take all of this into account, to me that sounds about a B-minus range, somewhere around the top 50. And I think um, that, that's kind of how I see everything shaking out here. Again, we have upside for next year. There are a lot of factors that impacted our season this year. But overall, the performance was around a top 50-ish level, which isn't, it's, it's a little bit better than what the advanced metrics say, but, but not that much. Yeah. And 
Look, you led with SP Plus being 56th overall, and SP Plus is not the end-all, be-all of a metric for college football, but it's about as good as it gets in terms of play-by-play efficiency metrics. So play in, play out, how good are you on each side of the ball? And for context, we're 56 this year. We haven't been outside of number 35 since 2008. So this was Notre Dame's worst offense from a play-by-play efficiency uh, perspective since 2008 in the Charlie Weiss era. You can say whatever you want about injuries. You can say whatever you want about wide receiver recruiting from Brian Kelly and Della Alexander. All the excuses you want to make in the world, this year did not meet expectations. And so B minus, it's, it's not, you know, an abundant failure. This team still went nine and four. This team still churned out enough points to go and get nine wins. But by and large, the offense is what held this, this team back, not, not the defenses we'll get to in a second. And you can see it. SP plus is a great indicator. This is the worst offense, um, we've ever had during, say, the Kelly era. This would be worse than any of those by a pretty significant step. Like even if you don't think SP plus is perfect, it's, close enough where if we've never been outside the top 35 and now we're 56 that's a big step back and and there's some context so i agree adjusting it up a little bit to b minus but certainly not um a great product by tom reese and, and the offense moving over to defense i'll kick us off with the defensive line um 16th in the country in sacks with 38 that was 12 from all american isaiah foskey um the pass rush grade was 32nd the run defense was 48th. We were 42nd in yards per carried allowed. Um, maybe the one stat that held this defensive line back and really the defense overall was havoc generated. So havoc generated was 91st in the country. But if you look at the front seven, it was 54th. So it was actually much better from the front seven. It was more our secondary, really outside Ben Morrison just didn't create a lot of disruptive plays. And even that front seven havoc was much more from the defensive line in the sacks than it was, say, from the linebackers and tackles for loss and, and, and blitzing off, off the edge. So overall, led by Isaiah Foskey with an All-American on your team, setting the Notre Dame sack record. Not elite, um, not a top five offensive line, but when you look at 16th in the country in sacks, a really important stat. When you look at, um, you know, how much of the offense or how much of the defense really was generated by the push from the front four, not getting a, as much contribution from linebackers. We graded this one out at an A minus. Um, I could have argued a B plus, um, j- just given some of the run defense wasn't as stout as it had been in prior year, given overall havoc wasn't quite as high as it had been in, in prior years, but thought the sack number in and of itself, um, and, and really what Isaiah Foskey w- was able to do. Warned at A minus, but but could have argued you know B plus, but but certainly this wasn't a top ten um, offensive line or sorry defensive line, but definitely somewhere in the top twenty. Yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. This was a very good unit, not an elite unit. We weren't quite as productive at this position as we have been in in past seasons, where the defensive line at times would just overwhelm other teams. So I agree with that grade one hundred percent. Now moving on to the linebackers. This position group is interesting because in some aspects, there were some aspects of their performance that were they graded out really well and others were they didn't grade out nearly as well. So we'll start with tackling and that's, that's a theme that we mentioned throughout the year. Notre Dame generally was a very effective team at, at wrapping up players when they had the opportunity to do so. So in terms of our tackling grade, 
at this position, we ranked third, one of the best in the country. So whenever our, our linebackers had an opportunity to actually make a play and bring down a ball carrier, they pretty much got it done. So that's that's a great place to start. Now, we already mentioned, so our run defense, not quite as effective as, as we would have liked this year. It wasn't bad, but I wouldn't say it was good. We ranked 48th. A lot of that's on the, on the linebackers, 42nd in yards per carry allowed. The front seven havoc was 54th, but Brett, as you mentioned, a lot of that was driven by, by the defensive line. Not much of it was driven by, by the linebackers. So I think I, when I look at the linebackers, overall, to me, I see a very fundamentally sound unit, but we, what they lacked were these big play, this ability to create uh, big plays, essentially. There's just that playmaking ability wasn't really there. If you add that, I think this becomes an exceptional unit. I think another stat worth mentioning is as primary defender, the linebackers gave up a completion percentage of 79%. So that's another stat that's that that's not great. Um, some other individual performances we should call out here. J.D. Bertrand, we mentioned him a lot throughout the year. There's a bit of a difference in opinion of in what this podcast uh, sees in terms of his level of performance versus what someone like Al Golden or even Pete Sampson says. We thought certainly he racked up a lot of tackles this year, but we thought that he had a lot of really big blown assignments. And again, really fundamentally sound at tackling, but if you're out of position and don't even have the opportunity to make the tackle, I think that you can't just forget that. So we'll see. Uh, there are a lot of people who are high on him. He'll be back next year. Hopefully he, he takes another step up. But my overall perception of this year, of this, this position group, uh, taking stock of, of all these factors is, as I mentioned, some aspects we did really well in tackling. And then, but then from a playmaking standpoint, we were really low, and and you see that in in our havoc stats uh, that kind of flow through at the top level for the defense. So, I think all that combined to me, this is kind of similar to the defensive line, a a good unit, but not a unit that was that was elite. And I think that's maybe even more true for this unit. Uh, I think they were certainly less effective than our defensive line. They were kind of a bit of a, a worse version of our defensive line. However, the defensive line did actually generate a lot of havoc. This unit did not generate much havoc. So to me, that sounds about a B-plus grade. And so that's, I guess, if you look at where that shakes out in terms of ranking throughout the country, that's roughly around a top 35 unit or so. So this is a unit that certainly held their weight, but they weren't. we weren't really winning any games because of them. They, they kind of did what they were supposed to do. And I think you get some credit for that, but you're not going to be an elite unit if, if, if that's it. And then last position group, secondary, um, talked about this a lot throughout the year, really went up against some elite quarterbacks, CJ Stroud, Drake May, Caleb Williams, um, number of, you know, all American, all freshman, Heisman trophy winner in that group. All three of those quarterbacks, including by the way, Caleb Williams, who had a very good game against Notre Dame, but largely with his legs, not, not necessarily passing. CJ Stroud, Drake May, and Caleb Williams, Worst or second worst games on the entire year were all against Notre Dame. Um, even Clemson, which, you know, DJU was maybe not what Clemson fans wanted, but really struggled in the offensive game dri- driven by Notre Dame secondary. So Notre Dame secondary balled out in big moments this year. Um, and, and especially a cornerback. Ben Morrison is the primary defender allowed just a 43% completion rate. Cam Hart is the primary defender, allowed just a 50% completion rate. Um, I'll even give Tariq Bracey a shout out. You know, I think a lot of times his numbers maybe looked a little bit worse. He gave up more touchdowns than anyone else on the secondary this year, but he also had to guard Josh Downs and Jackson Smith and Jigba, without a doubt, probably the two best slot receivers in, in the country. 
Um, there were some weaknesses. Clarence Lewis basically got replaced um, by Ben Morrison this year and, and was essentially benched despite being an opening day um, starter. Safety was more solid with Brandon Joseph before he went down with injuries. Xavier Watts, DJ Brown, Ramon Henderson rotated at, at safety and, and was okay, not great. The biggest thing holding this group back, thought they played great in the biggest moments against the biggest quarterbacks, but game in and game out just didn't generate a lot of havoc. This was a unit outside the top 100 in secondary generated havoc. So basically disruptive plays from the secondary. They were outside the top 100. That was despite Ben Morrison tying for third in the country with six interceptions because no one else had more than one. And so... This was another one where really had a tough time grading this one. Some really good numbers, uh, like when you look at the performances against Ohio State and UNC and, and even USC, you know, didn't really torch us passing the ball. Now that was a game where we had a bunch of injuries. So like that one can kind of argue either way. Um, and then some not so good numbers like, like Havoc generated outside of Ben Morrison's all American performances. So, adjusting for all of those things kind of like the other position groups don't know if it's a top 25 unit but it, it definitely i think warrants b plus it's it's right on the cusp of top 25 um i think if you saw ben morrison play the entire year uh i think if you saw Jaden mickey kind of come into his own a, a little bit earlier or brandon joseph play, stay healthier this was a unit we were worried was going to be the weak spot of the defense um not saying it was stronger or weaker than linebacker defensive line, but definitely held their own throughout the year. And, and so I've got this one as a B plus. Yeah. And I think that's a common theme for the position groups on the defense. If you break down each one, there were, there were good areas and bad areas, but overall the good tended to outweigh the bad. And I think that's more true with the defensive line than any of these other position groups for the secondary. It's interesting. So a lot of the havoc that we generate was driven by the defensive line. And it seemed like the other position groups couldn't capitalize it on it as much. Uh, Brandon Joseph, he was a player that we profiled coming into this season as a potential first round pick. As you mentioned, he had some injuries, but overall we didn't get the level of production that we would have liked out of him. And he was a player in particular that we were hoping might be able to generate some turnovers that didn't happen. And so I think that that's one thing that, uh, that, that was one area of upside that we didn't get out of this group. Now, as a whole, as I just mentioned, the defense, we had some pros, we had some cons or some areas where we looked good. And there were frankly some areas where we looked dominant throughout this year. And then there were some areas where we had some pretty big lapses overall looking at the advanced metrics, SP plus ranks us around 36. One area we did pretty well in was success rate. So we allowed, uh, in terms of success rate allowed, we, we ranked around 30th in the country, which is, a uh, w- one of the better, better marks in the country where we didn't perform as well. And we, we already talked about this. We already alluded to this was, was havoc generated. So we ranked 91st. So we weren't really coming up with a whole lot of these disruptive plays to really throw off the opposing offenses. We got a lot of sacks, but we just didn't really get a whole lot of, and these other players were plays where we didn't get sacks, but we got pressure. The other position groups weren't particularly effective at generating turnovers or other big plays out of it. So that's, that's really what hurt us. And then the, aside from just uh, not generating turnovers, the other area that we performed particularly poorly in was, was red zone defense. And we ranked dead last in this category. So essentially when teams made it into the red zone, they pretty much always scored. So looking at our grading scale and how that translates to SP plus 36, that's about a B or B plus grade. But there are, 
similar to all these other grades that we're doing, there are there is a lot of context that we have to we have to mention here. There were many games, especially early in the season, where the offense was putting the defense in high leverage situations. These were some of those games where, uh, particularly earlier on, before we started to look a little bit better as the season went on, where the offense would just we just couldn't keep the defense off the field. And so there was an element where the defense would get tired or they would be put in situations where the opposing offense had really good field position. So it was where you'd see a lot of three and outs by the offense. So I think that makes that puts the defense in a tougher spot. So I think you have to, you have to take into account that we don't think the advanced metrics like SP plus consider that as much as they do. Some other important call-outs that you got to mention here is against some of the most elite teams that we, we played, some of the most elite offenses that we played, we actually did pretty well. So Ohio State, one of the best teams in the country this year, should honestly should have beaten Georgia in the uh, college football uh, playoff semifinal. And if they won that, there's a pretty good chance that they would have been the national champions. We held them to 21 points uh, on the road in the opener, and that's with C.J. Stroud, a, a future first-round pick. That's one of the best defensive performances by any team at all this year. And then certainly Clemson, we essentially just brought down the hammer at them. They couldn't do anything against us. Our defense had a very dominant performance there. And then USC, one of the best offenses in the country this year. We had a depleted secondary. I wouldn't say that we had a, a headline performance there necessarily, but we, we certainly held our own. And, and Caleb Williams had one of his lower, I think maybe it was his, I don't know if it was his lowest passing yard performance of the game, but it certainly was one of the lower ones. So even though USC got their points against us, they weren't exactly lighting us up as much as you would think. So I think when you consider all this, the advanced metrics suggest that we're somewhere around a B or B plus, but when you look at everything that's happened that happened this year in terms of the offense, putting the defense in bad spots, some of the really good teams that we played and, and, and how dominant we looked at times, I think that that merits an A minus. And we, we graded out each position group as either a B plus or an A minus. So that's not too far off from where we were grading out each individual position group anyway. But I do think these outside factors, I think they're, they're important to, to consider. And I think they, they carry quite a bit of weight. And I think that makes an A minus grade, which is somewhere around the top 20, top 25. I think that that, I think that that actually is a, a worthy grade for the defense this year. So B minus on offense. A minus on defense. Um, that translates to about a B plus, which by our grading curve would be just outside the top 25, but in the top 50. And lo and behold, SP plus has Notre Dame's overall team efficiency rating at 35th. So right in that B plus. Um, it really feels like I want to make it an A minus and I want to boost it up because of how strong the season ended, because of the Clemson win, because of the bowl victory. But at the end of the day, you just can't lose to Marshall and Stanford. And so as successful as this campaign is for Marcus Freeman, as positive as we feel going into 2023, this just isn't a top 25 team um, in these efficiency metrics. Now, all that being said, in the AP poll, uh, in college football playoff ranking, we're going to finish as a top 20 team, right? But we tend to kind of not even really look at polls. Like they're, they're just not the best data and, and information out there. And so as an advanced analytics podcast, we're going to stick to the advanced analytics. You can maybe argue based on the finish, based on the momentum going into the second half of the year, that this is an A minus, but failing to hit that 10 win threshold that we've hit five years in a row, um, really losing two very, very winnable games, just held this team back. They finished well, but, but we're going to stick with the B plus grade, which is really what's suggested by the advanced metrics. It's the average of the offense and, and the defense. 
And so a lot to build on for Marcus Freeman going into year two, um, an above average season, but, but not really hitting those elite levels. Um, that's really the expectation for Notre Dame football. Yeah, I agree 100%. So I think if you were to look at the second half of the season, I think our team was an A-. minus. We were performing at an A- level, but you can't just forget the beginning of the season. And accounting for that, I, I, I can't, we can't justify giving anything better than a B plus. So I, I agree with that 100%. And then I'll, I will say, and you hinted at this earlier, I think the perception of the program right now is probably a lot closer to an A- level, which is great because that helps a lot with recruiting. It helps with a lot of these other outside soft benefits that can help you push the team over the edge. Also with morale, offseason, all that stuff's important. But in terms of just pure performance this season, B plus is that's the grade that we deserve. All right. Time to look ahead to 2023. Um, I'm just proud of the way they finished, uh, proud of the leadership that we had. And, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, I thought we did a great job of, of finding a way to finish the season off the right way. And uh, I love these guys. Notre Dame's heading into the 2023 season with a long offseason ahead of us, but a ton of momentum, a ton of big news coming out of recruiting and the transfer portal. We're going to very quickly fly through what looks to be projected returning production uh, on both the offense and the defense and some some key takeaways and then look ahead to the schedule. And caveat all this, it's still very early in the transfer portal. It's still very early for people who are coming back for a fifth year or, or leaving or, or a sixth year with, with COVID eligibility. So we're going to keep this at a high level. We'll obviously do a much more detailed breakdown as next season approaches in the summer. But starting on offense, the biggest news for Notre Dame is incoming Wake Forest grad transfer Sam Hartman is primed to be quarterback one, holds multiple ACC records, including career touchdowns, took Wake Forest to an improbable run to the ACC championship game in 2021, battled some injuries this year, but still very elite power five quarterback and immediate upgrade. We love Tyler Buckner's potential, loved what we saw in the Gator Bowl. He still has three years of eligibility left, but day one, Sam Hartman, heavy favorite to be the starter. And realistically, the biggest incoming QB that Notre Dame's had since arguably Jimmy Clausen. And now that's to fill out a really deep quarterback room in a way that I can't remember in a modern Notre Dame era with Steve Angeli, a four-star backup, incoming freshman, top 200 recruit, uh, Minchie, Tyler Buckner, we mentioned in 2024, we have lined up top 50 recruit CJ Carr. So quarterback looking in a really good spot. Running back, the entire trio is back. Chris Tyree, Logan Diggs, Audric SMA, all back next year. And really likely going to be the strength of this offense. Something we're going to have to talk about a lot is how to get all three of those guys involved like we did this year. Wide receiver, we lose Avery Davis. We lose Joe Wilkins. We lose Braden Lindsey. But coming back will be better recruiting and better depth. So Jaden Thomas, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, Tobias Merriweather, plus three incoming top 300 recruits and wide receiver. Arguably the biggest two or three contributors in that group of Ben, Jaden Thomas, and Deion Colsey and Tobias Merriweather. Braden Lindsay had his moments this year, but Jaden Thomas really emerged as WR1. So him coming back with Sam Hartman, expect that room to be much upgraded. Tight end, we obviously lose Mike Mayer. No doubt he's not replaceable. But Mitchell Evans in the bowl game looked really good. Eli Raritan and Holden Stays are both four-star underclassmen recruits that, that'll now be sophomore. So we won't have Mike Mayer, but tight end continues to be a very strongly recruited position at Notre Dame. 
And then offensive line, couple question marks here. We're going to lose Jared Patterson and Josh Lugg. Possibly Zeke Carell, I'd, I'd expect him to come back, but but he, he could transfer elsewhere, but I expect him to be back for a fifth year. But this is a place where there's a ton of blue chippers behind them in Andrew Kristoffich and Rocco Spindler and, and a number of other top 100 and top 200 uh, re- recruits at offensive line. So a couple question marks, but Joe Alt and Blake Fisher, they could both be All-Americans next year, really played at a high level this year as sophomores, and, and so expect them to really anchor that offensive line at the tackle positions. So all in there, we project bringing back seven of the top 11 producers. The four guys that are obviously out are Mayer, Lug, Patterson, and um, Braden Lindsey. We are counting quarterback as bringing in Hartman and Buckner as a returning production, even though Drew Pine obviously got a lot of the stats this year. So major upgrade coming at quarterback. Everyone's back at running back. Wide receiver should continue to improve. Offensive line should continue to be an elite unit. Mike, what's the expectation for next year's offense? Yeah, I think zero excuses for Tom Reese this coming season to have anything but a top 25 offense. You hit on it, the run game. There is no reason the run game should, shouldn't should be as good, or if not better. I Honestly, I would be disappointed if they're not better going into next season. And then the passing game, Hartman, what a what a what a massive development for for Tom Reese, Marcus Freeman, and the staff to get someone like this. This is a guy going into this past season who many pegged as a potential Heisman candidate. He had some he's had a couple injury issues, but and that slowed him down. But this is a guy who's performed at a, at a very high level. He holds many ACC passing records, and uh, he, he was ranked number one in the transfer portal uh, for, for QBs. So just just someone that. Uh, that should make an immediate mark. Drew Pine last year, we talked about this in our prior segment. We graded him out. We graded out the the quarterback position somewhere around the top fifty. Sam Hartman has the potential to maybe even be somewhere around the top five uh, in in the country. I think he has that level of potential, and I think what he does really well complements what we were deficient in last year. So this past season, we were really good in success rate. We were one of the better teams in the country with that, and we were really good at limiting havoc. Where we were really bad was our explosiveness. And if you look at Hartman's game, the area that he really excels in is completing these downfield passes, these big chunky plays. So I think you combine that. If our offense can kind of, if we can uh, stay around where we were with success rate and havoc, and there's no reason to think that we won't, and we see huge jump in explosiveness, we could be looking at a really, really good offense. And as you also mentioned, with the receivers, we're not really losing any key key uh, players here. These younger guys, a lot of them surged as the year went on. We have a lot of new, a lot of young new recruits coming in who are supposed to be good. So that's a position group that I expect to make a jump. Uh, certainly tight end, you lose mayor, but we've recruited that position well. So I think our, even just from the, from the uh, receiving side of the, uh, the equation with the passing game, I expect the jump there. And um, you mentioned the offensive line. We're, we're losing a couple guys there, but th- this is, we, we have lost bigger pieces before on the offensive line and, and, and went on to have better performances. I think another point worth, worth mentioning is this is the second year under Heatston and something that we've seen his first year. Sometimes you see a little bit of choppiness in that first year as players adjust to his style a bit. And we even saw that this year. As the year went on though, we got a lot better. Now we'll have year two. So I'm hoping we come out of the gates from the offensive line standpoint looking a lot better. So overall, I think our, our passing game has the potential to be 
really good. I think our run game, which was effective this year, should should also continue to take a step forward. And then if you have that balance, I don't know. I'm just getting really excited just thinking about this. I think I think twenty top twenty five. That's the expectation. I think it's reasonable to expect something in the in the top fifteen, top ten. If we get into the top ten range, now you're talking about a potential college football playoff contender. Yeah, I I just looked up underclassmen on the offensive line that were top 300 recruits and didn't play a snap this year just because they were underclassmen playing beyond guys like Jared Patterson. There's seven. There's seven top 300 recruits that were backups on our offensive line this year. That gets me wildly excited for that group continuing to improve. And then everything we talked about the offensive struggles this year is because we were one-dimensional. When you've got Sam Hartman, we won't be one-dimensional. And that gets me really excited. Um, who knows? It's a bunch of college kids, but this group has the potential to be really, really special next year. On defense, for the first time in a few years, the defense is going to have more question marks than the offense. Um, I'm going to start with the linebacker. That's the easiest one. Maris Lufau, J.D. Bertrand, and Jack Kaiser are all expected back for fifth or sixth years. I don't believe we've seen official announcements yet. But that would be really big as, as we've talked about the next wave of linebackers. We're really excited about Prince Kali and Junior, Tua Lamaka and Jalen Sneed. But none of those underclassmen really showed up this year in a big way as contributors. So I think seeing Bertrand, Kaiser, and Lufau back as upperclassmen seniors to anchor this defense, giving Kali and Tua Lamaka and Sneed more time to develop and maybe be role, bigger role players next year, and, and emerge is, is a great transition for that position group. The defensive line, this is a position where we've been rotating eight to 10 guys getting meaningful snaps really for the last three or four years, a ton of depth there. And every year out of that eight or 10 rotation guys, six are coming back, six, seven, eight are coming back. So you feel good about who's there. Next year is going to feel a little different. Isaiah Foskey's off to the NFL. Both Adam Alola brothers are leaving the program either for the draft or grad transferring. I believe Chris Smith, the reserve nose guard this year, is out of eligibility. It does appear Howard Cross and Nana Osafa Mensa will be back for fifth years. They also haven't been officially announced. Those would be really big disappointments if they don't come back. Those would both be projected starters next year. And the only other guys that were in the rotation this year, Riley Mills was a motor all over the field. Really excited to see him be a starter next year. Jordan Botello definitely flashed two sacks in the in the Gator Bowl, uh, but a little bit of a hit or miss guy. Jordan Botello will go out and be an absolute train wreck, disruptive player, but also not always the most disciplined. And then Gabriel Rubio. So there's really only five guys back next year that saw any meaningful action this year. Even Gabriel Rubio didn't see a ton of time. And so you've really got to believe on some underclassmen. Tyson Ford. 120th recruit in his class, Aiden Gobaria, 168th recruit in his class, and Josh Burnham, 109th recruit in his class. So there's some other four-star, high, high-end four-stars primed to now be sophomores and juniors to step in and really start contributing who redshirted this year. But this is a position group that I think is going to have a lot of new faces next year, something we haven't seen a lot recently. And then finally, the secondary, bit of a mixed bag. Cornerback might be one of the best position groups, if not the best position group on the roster. I can't remember ever saying that. Cam Hart announced he's back for fifth year. Ben Morrison is obviously going to be back in his second year as a true sophomore. Those guys were both locked down corners this year. 
Both didn't allow completion percentages above 50%. Not to mention Jaden Mickey, who got a lot of experience this year, has a long ways to go developing as a freshman into his sophomore year, but three potentially elite high-end corners. And then there's a lot of departures. Brandon Joseph, Tariq Bracey, Houston Griffith, all out of eligibility or going to the draft. And so what that leaves is a really big question mark at safety. DJ Brown has not announced if he's coming back yet. It feels like that's one where folks don't really know if he's coming back, not coming back. And so outside of that, it's Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts. They both saw snaps this year, but they both somewhat struggled in limited action. Um, so safety is going to be a really big question mark. Notre Dame just announced Thomas Harper is transferring in from Oklahoma State. And I think he's been getting a lot of press as a stop, stopgap for safety, but he is not Brandon Joseph. He is not Alohi Gilman. Um, he played in seven games this year, was somewhat limited due to injury. His pro football focus grades are kind of sort of average. He's never had more than one interception in a season. So he's going to add depth. He's going to add, you know, some quality to a position, particularly sounds like he could cross train at the nickel position. So a definitely great depth piece. But people shouldn't see him coming in um, as, you know, the next Brandon Joseph or Loey Gilman to really lock down safety. So, Mike, a lot coming back, a linebacker. Defensive line, there's going to be a lot of turnover, but really great recruiting there. Secondary, elite corner played. Probably biggest question mark on the team is going to be the safety position. What do you think is realistic expectations for our defense next year? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on all this. Corner, it's the first time, and in, as far as I can remember where I go and expecting potentially elite play at the corner position. So really excited about that. Linebacker, we have a lot of proven depth coming back. As we mentioned in our last segment, this unit, they play very fundamentally sound football. And we also have some younger players who hopefully will be able to take a step up. We haven't seen that yet. But if this unit can start generating more havoc, we are potentially looking at an elite linebacker unit. So that, that's what I'm going to be looking for. I want to see them take a step up in terms of how much havoc they're generating. Defensive line, tons of talent, but not as much proven depth as we've had in prior years. We've recruited the position extremely well, though, so there's no reason to think that we won't be able to generate a lot of production out of it. And as you touched on as well, I think safety right now is the position that I'm most concerned about. We just don't really have those impact players and the players who I expect to take over, I don't feel 100% confident that they're going to be able to hold down the fort. Now, if you have great cornerback play, that helps make up for a lot of that. But um, overall, I think there's just uh, – it's it's a little different on this side of the ball than what it usually is. I think there are more questions than what we typically see on the defensive side of the ball and potentially even more questions that than we, uh, on this side of the ball than what – we're, we're seeing on the offensive side of the ball, which is a bit of a flip. So we're potentially seeing maybe an explosion on offense and some question marks on defense. There's no reason to think that we can't figure it out and this won't be an extremely effective unit. But if our defensive performance takes a step back this year, my guess is we're going to be circling back to some of these questions that we raised as reasons why the the defense didn't perform quite up to what we were hoping for. And then the last topic we want to cover looking at the 2023 is the schedule and it is a brutal schedule um i'll start on the easier end there are four teams where if you just look at what sp plus implies about this year uh you've got navy stanford central michigan and tennessee state where notre dame would be three score favorites 17 points or more and so that's 
for what should be near automatic wins. Now we said that twice this year against Stanford and Marshall. So nothing's ever perfectly automatic in college football, but should be four wins out of the gate for, for Notre Dame against those four opponents. And then on the other end, before I get back to the middle of the schedule, on the other end, you've got USC, Ohio State, and Clemson again on the schedule next year. If Notre Dame played Ohio State today on a neutral field, Notre Dame would be a 22-point underdog. If Notre Dame played USC on a neutral field, Notre Dame would be a 9-point underdog. And with Clemson, about a 7-point underdog. So Clemson on the road, going to be a really tough matchup. DJU is gone. Five-star QB, Cade Klubnick is in. Jury's still out, though. He he struggled against us in limited action, uh, struggled in their bowl game. So TBD on where Clemson goes. USC is going to have the returning Heisman Trophy winner. That game will at least be at Notre Dame, which helps. Ohio State will be home, which helps. And they, of course, need to replace C.J. Stroud, and this game's in September. So really, whoever the new starter there at Ohio State, although they rotate in five stars at QB. So three massive matchups again. And then what stands out the most to me is the other ACC opponents that fill the middle of this schedule are all very tricky. Um, I'm going to rattle them off, but but Mike, curious what you think, if, if any of these stand out, and I'm, I'm happy to fill in the others, because I think all five are tricky, other than maybe um, one of them that I'll, I'll touch on. So Duke, uh, in year two with Mike Elko, former Notre Dame defensive coordinator after surpassing expectations this year. NC State was a preseason top 10 team, had a lot of injuries, including their starting quarterback, Devin Leary, went down, but they feel excited about quarterback of the future, MJ Morris. Pittsburgh brings in Phil Dracovich, who when healthy with good weapons around him, was very dangerous at Boston College a year ago. Um, and Pitt is a much better roster than Boston College is to now be bringing in someone Notre Dame knows well, a top 100 talent, a very live arm, someone who's going to be looking to get NFL attention. So Pittsburgh looks to be much improved. Louisville exceeded expectations, and now they bring in an alum, Jeff Brom, who is pretty darn successful at Purdue. So it'll be year one with a new coach, but a lot of excitement around the Louisville program. And then Wake Forest. Um, they're, I think, the team that I'm expecting to stay, take a step back, primarily because they lose Sam Hartman, who really carried that team the last couple of years. But all five of those teams, if Notre Dame played them tomorrow with this year's roster on a neutral field, Notre Dame would only be a one to five point favorite. So all of those teams, you know, Notre Dame should have an edge. We believe Notre Dame will be better next year than they are this year. So maybe we're touchdown favorites or three to seven point favorites, but some of those on the road uh, at Duke, at NC State, are pretty darn tricky matchups where in addition to the big three opponents we've got, there's five other games that are certainly not going to be situations where Notre Dame's a 10-point favorite. Let's maybe start there, Mike. Out of those five ACC opponents, the non-Clemson ACC opponents, which one's got you the most nervous? So I think I'm going to start with Pitt. Now, Dracovich, the problem with him is that he's always struggled with injuries. But if we get a fully – and this is – I remember when we were doing the preview of Boston College this past year, we were saying uh, – I was saying something very similar. If he's if he's fully healthy, the the ceiling of that team jumps up quite a bit. And I think that's that's true even more so for Pitt. So if you have a healthy Djurkovich, he has a, a better – he'd be he's working with a better roster at Pitt. So I think, I think you got to start there. I think that that team could be – 
could be pretty good if you if you get a really good performance out of Djokovic this year. To me, that seems like the, potentially the most challenging matchup. A lot of it depends on how how well Phil holds up holds up over the course of the season. If he's banged up, then this could easily flip the other way and be uh, one of our easier games. I think Wake Forest, you already mentioned it, they're replacing Sam Hartman, so I'm not too worried about that one. I think they're probably going to take a pretty big step back. Um, and then I would say outside of Pitt, the one I'm worried about maybe the second most would be would be Duke. And I think that's just because I think Mike Elko is a hell of a football coach. I think he did a really good job this past year. Um, his teams, they just always seem to show continual improvement. His units, rather, I guess this is his shot at head coach. So we already, we already saw him inject a lot of energy this year. So I'm expecting Duke to potentially take, take a jump this year. And while they won't be able to match the talent level of Notre Dame, I think this is a team that will potentially exceed expectations. So I would say, uh, start with Pitt. And then after that, I would say Duke. Aside from that, NC State, we'll see how, how MJ Morris does. I think I, uh, you know, maybe I'm a little bit more skeptical of that one. And I think I'm a little more skeptical of Louisville too. I think a lot of times when a new head coach comes in and, uh, it's their first year, I think people sometimes maybe over, they can overstate the impact that this person could have in year one. So I, I'm going to pump the brakes on those a little bit. I, I do think these are games where Notre Dame, if we don't show up, we could definitely lose any of these, even to wake. And certainly we saw that this past year where we had some very disappointing performances against some very, uh, middling to bad teams. So, but obviously, if our team takes a big jump, then I think these games look a lot more approachable. And so I'm, I'm hoping that's what happens and we can take care of business. And while some of these are tricky, we do need to call out that Notre Dame has had a really strong record against ACC opponents, excluding Clemson. I, I can't remember what the exact record is, but basically we're undefeated uh, in ACC games against non-Clemson teams. And actually, we've beaten Clemson. I mean, we've beaten Clemson a couple times, too. So while we stress ourselves out about these games... We have shown over the years that we tend to take care of business in these games. So I'm hoping that's what happens here. Now, all that being said, we, we definitely need to show up for these because there are some teams here that could be quite effective. And if, if we're not playing our best games, could certainly give us another L on the win-loss column. Yeah, I think Mike Elko at Duke really makes me nervous. The one thing I like about Pitt is that game is at home. Um, which, which helps, but I think what Mike Elko has brought to a defensive minded program now to Duke, um, and, and really exceeded expectations this year. Louisville, the, the one thing we didn't mention is Malik Cunningham, I think yesterday, so, so quite recently announced he has declared for the NFL draft. So they're going to have a new quarterback with a new head football coach. Um, so I think that one, maybe they take a step back as well, or at least will be a, a little less predictable. Um, MJ Morris is really interesting. So Devin Leary set some all-time school records in 2021, went down with an injury, uh, early in this season. And the program basically said MJ Morris is our guy to the point where Devin Leary transferred despite having school passing records, decided to transfer rather than come back next year. So it sounded like the coaching staff stared at Devin Leary coming back as a senior or turning over the keys to MJ Morris, who was a top 400-ish recruit. So, you know, low-end four-star, high-end three-star. They saw enough from him to say, we're willing to turn down or at least kind of guide out the door their all-time leading passer in, in Devin Leary. Um, really interesting decision there that if they're evaluating talent, well, it tells you they they believe in MJ Morrison in a really big way. So, Curious to see what goes on at, at NC State, but that's maybe one QB. Um, I'm really going to watch how he performs in September. 
to try to gauge what that matchup looks like. Then on the other big three games, Ohio State, USC, Clemson, um, it's probably too early to predict, you know, each one of those games individually, not knowing Ohio State's quarterback, not knowing how Kate Klubnick looks at Clemson. I think, of course, USC is, is going to be um, back in and really a, a heated rivalry going forward. But, Mike, what's at least your expectations for Notre Dame in those three games? So we said we're, we're underdogs in these games if you assume the same SP plus ratings that we have right now. Now, we're optimistic and hoping that we're going to take a jump, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. I think if to go undefeated in those games, we would have to have a very dramatic uptick in performance well beyond I think what we're even expecting because these are these are some of the best teams in the country so I think a good goal for these games is to go one and two that means you're knocking out at least like one top 10-ish team uh, if we go two and one I think that that actually exceeds expectations quite a bit and puts us firmly in line for a college football playoff bid I certainly think that's possible there's part of me that's optimistic that Hartman could is just going to be a revelation for our offense but I I wouldn't say that I I would tell people that that is a reasonable expectation. To me, that that's more drinking the Kool-Aid and being overly optimistic about the team. So I, I think with those games, I think it's certainly possible we go 0-3. These are really good teams. If we don't make as big of a jump as we're expecting, I think that's probably what will happen. If we, I think if we make the jump that I am expecting, I think there's a pretty good chance that we go 1-2. 2-1 will be tough. If we go 3-0, and then I will... I'll be booking my tickets for the national championship. Yeah, and, and I, I agree. I, I think one and two is is the expectation. You know, I think there's always this view from fans that they want to win most games against top ten opponents. No one does that. Like Nick Saban is, you know, not winning every game against top ten opponents. You, you saw it this year. Dropped two of them, and so um, I tend to think that if you are competitive in every game against a top ten opponent. And winning some of them, not even most of them, but if, if, if Notre Dame goes one and two against those programs next year and runs the table elsewhere, that is going to be about as compelling of a 10 and two season as, as we've seen in recent history. Does that get you in the college football playoff as a four team format? No, 12 team format, definitely. And so the big crux next year, if Notre Dame wants to really take a step forward though, if they want to make the college football playoff, I don't think anyone's ever done it as a two-loss team. Um, so you've got to go and win that game. Um, you, you've got to go and win one more of those and go two and one against those teams. And the other really interesting thing is this offseason, we asked a bunch of listeners of the show, how would you feel if Marcus Freeman went 36-12 and 12 over his first four regular seasons? So averaged a 9-3 and three record. And emphatically, the answer we heard was, well, that would be totally unacceptable. We'd have to fire him. And when you look at a schedule like this, where we went eight and four this year, and Marshall and Stanford, totally unacceptable, but I, I, I don't think anyone would say we should fire Marcus Freeman right now, despite eight and four. So for him to now average nine and three, that means going and getting 10 win seasons. But in the next three years, he's got Clemson and Ohio State again, USC four times, and Alabama twice. We're not going to be favorites in those games, or, or maybe we are, but it's not likely we're going to be favorites in those games. And so I think it's a good reminder as as we look ahead and project this program one year from now, two years from now, three years from now, going 9-3 and three is really good. Going 10-2 and two is phenomenal. 
And then you hope you keep doing that enough and putting the right pieces in place that builds on it where there is a 12 and 0 season. There is an 11 and 1 season. You are truly contending and competitive in the big games where Kelly was not competitive in those big games, but Freeman showing we were competitive against Ohio State. We were competitive against USC. We throttled Clemson. If we keep building on that, we should be okay with nine and three. We should be excited about nine and three with next year's record. If if next year's record was playing really competitive against Ohio State, USC and Clemson, but we go one and two in those games with, by the way, two of them on the road, and then somewhere else along the way, we drop an ACC game against some really good ACC teams on the schedule next year, you could have a really, really good nine and three football team for Notre Dame that just had a really tough schedule, but is building in the right direction. So um, I don't want to hold ourselves to win-loss predictions, but Mike, I'll, I'll maybe kick us off. I'm curious what you think for our overall record next year. I, I just think 9-3 and three is the most likely outcome. Frankly, I think the range of outcomes is like 7-5 and five isn't out of the question. 12-0 um, and 0 seems pretty darn remote, but again, if, if this offense elevates with Sam Hartman um, and you've got the pieces in place across the rest of the roster. It could get special really quickly. Um, I think nine and three is most likely, but there's real potential for 10 and two, 11 and one, um, just with the upgrades we're expecting to see on this team. Yeah. I think, I think the Sam Hartman upgrade for me, that's, that's holding the most weight here. This past season, a lot of the volatility that we saw was was due to the offense, and in particular at the quarterback position. So if you have someone like Sam Hartman then performing at a very high level, I think that that takes away some of these troughs where you saw some of our performances against Marshall and Stanford and and, and teams like that. So I, I I think I already talked about like the the top teams that we're playing this year. So I think expecting I'm building in the expectation that we're going to make a big jump on offense. I feel a little I don't feel quite as good about that. I don't feel I, I don't think we're going to make a jump on the defensive side of the ball. I'm hoping maybe we kind of stay around where we're at. Certainly possible we could take we could potentially take a step back. So I'm, right now I'm assuming our defense is about the same. Offense takes a big step. I, I would say I'm maybe a little more nervous about the defense taking a, taking a, a bit of a step back, but uh, but we'll see. So circling back to the big games, I, I think one of those three big matchups, I think we win one of them. That's, that's kind of what my brain is telling me here. And then for the ACC games, the non-Clemson ACC games, it's hard for me to predict a loss in any of these just because we've been so consistent about beating them, and I think we're going to be better this year. So even though there are some tricky matchups there, I'm going to say that we actually go out and, and win each of those games. And that brings us to the to the uh, the games that should be should be very easy games. And certainly we struggled with some of those this past year, but if we're getting much more consistent, effective play at the quarterback position, I feel like we're going to be able to avoid that this year. So to me, that... I, I think we're going to win all those games. You combine all that, and that gets me to around ten and two. I do think certainly it's possible we could end up losing all those big games. Maybe we still see some of those inconsistencies from other parts of the team that uh, that kind of mired us in, in Freeman's first season, particularly in the beginning of the year. But I'm, I'm I'm thinking my heart is telling me that we're gonna we're gonna improve enough to where we can avoid some of those pitfalls and, and win one of those big games. And ten and two is where I'm landing at now. I, I agree with you. I think nine and three feels. It feels like that could definitely happen. I don't, I think you might be a little more, I think you feel a little bit uh, that the odds of going nine and three are maybe a little bit higher than what I think. I think to me, it seems maybe around 50, 50, like to me, like the odds seem about 
even essentially. The odds of us going nine and three seem about pretty similar to us going ten and two, and that's that's kind of where I'm at. And then these other scenarios, whether on the lower end or the higher end, certainly those are possible too. But um, I, I guess that would I guess nine and a half wins. Then if I was if I was Vegas, I'd be setting it at nine and a half wins. That's interesting. I was just going to ask you that question to close out the show. What do you think Notre Dame's off season um, win loss total will be? So you think it's nine and a half? I actually think it's going to be eight and a half. Well, okay, so that's interesting. So if I'm Vegas, if, if I'm setting the line, I'm setting it at nine and a half. But in terms of what do I think Vegas is actually going to set it, I actually think that they'll probably set it lower because I'm. You, you can say one of those wins that I'm building in is uh, maybe some optimism, but. Um, yeah, so I I wouldn't be surprised if they set it closer to eight and a half because we do have some tricky matchups, but I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there is a, there's a lot to like going into the season, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. If Vegas sets the line, if they set it at nine and a half, then that tells us that there's there's clearly a lot of public buy-in to Sam Hartman's ability to really elevate the program. For sure, that will be a very interesting thing. I want to come back to that when when we kick off our summer shows of of where Vegas settles on that. Um. I may be a little more bearish or maybe more just straight up looking at statistical odds saying nine and three, Mike being a little more optimistic, 10 and two. And frankly, we're not going to know that there's going to be really big unknowns until we see football next year. Just like this year, we don't know who Tyler Buckner was. Just like this year, we don't know who Marcus Freeman was as a head coach. I think next year we're going to go through a lot of that again with Sam Hartman, but feel better about Freeman, feel better about the other pieces around him. And I'm... Super stoked. I know we're eight months away from getting to watch Notre Dame football um, on a college football Saturday, but I am very, very excited for, for this program and, and where it's headed. The recruiting's there. The roster is deep, and now Sam Hartman potentially puts us over top. So with that, it's a wrap for Season 2 of Gyrish Talk. Thank you to all of our listeners who've been with us on this journey. A lot of ups and downs in this season, but we, we've enjoyed the ride and looking forward to being back with y'all next year. Gyrish. Gyrish.